The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you feel that you're losing the battle with looking and feeling your best? Stop! Welcome to Body Balance Talk with your host, Jeannie Schmidt, along with Lucy and Madeline. Your body has an outstanding ability to heal itself and stay healthy. It's up to you to get the process started. Now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy Hewitt, nutritional therapist. And I'm Madeline Hewitt. And I'm Jeannie Schmidt, PharmD. And welcome to our show today. Our topic is on the role that magnesium plays in osteoporosis. And today, our sponsor of the show is a major difference. And a major difference makes the ion cleanse machine for detoxification. So they have a new book. Dr. Bob Moroni wrote this new book, and he's the founder of the company. He wrote a book called The Total Body Detoxification, and we have the book. We've been reading it, and we find it extremely well done. Um, We recommend it for anyone who's seeking better health. And it gives the story of Dr. Moroni. He almost died with cancer, drug and alcohol problems, and even more. And just reading his story is inspiring. And it shows you that it's never too late to change your life and improve your health. So the book is easy to read and understand. And you can find it on their website at amajordifference.com. Or you could also call them up and talk to Neil, who is Dr. Maroney's son. He's the owner, and you can talk to him anytime about how the ion cleanse machine works or any other questions that you might have. And the company also puts on educational conferences on detoxification. So for anyone who's looking for more information, go to their website at amajordifference.com. And if you need more, call them up. Now, today, we're talking about the role magnesium plays on bone health and osteoporosis. We started the topic of osteoporosis last week. When most people think about preventing osteoporosis, it rings bells of drinking lots of milk to get the calcium you need. And if not milk, then maybe calcium supplements. Most women are told to take between 800 to 1,000 milligrams of calcium to avoid osteoporosis. So what would some of those supplements be? Most calcium supplements are either calcium only or calcium with a small amount of vitamin D. A few have small amounts of magnesium. So what would you think your bones need to be strong and flexible? Does it make sense to you that if you simply take a calcium supplement, that calcium will be deposited right into your bones and nowhere else? Or would you think that something other than calcium would be necessary to have strong and flexible bones? So I'll ask you this, what are the countries that drink the most milk and eat the most dairy? How about the United States and most all of those industrialized and developed countries? And which countries have the highest incidence of osteoporosis? Yes, the U.S. 
And what about the countries with people who do not drink milk, they don't eat a lot of dairy, and they don't take calcium supplements? Yep, I can hear you all answering. Some of the Asian countries and also a number of African countries. And these people do not struggle with osteoporosis like we do here in the U.S. and many other developed countries. So in countries that are going through a transition, such as Hong Kong, osteoporosis is rising. So we have to ask, if dairy foods and calcium supplements prevent osteoporosis, why do highly industrialized and developed countries where they eat a lot of dairy have the most osteoporosis? Is there something else that's involved? So we can already come up with answers by looking at the difference in diet and lifestyle between highly industrialized countries and then those countries that are not. So what about the massive consumption of nutrient-poor food or junk food or processed foods? Foods that lack concentrated nutrition that you would find in whole foods coming from soil that is not depleted in minerals. What about high sugar consumption, the high factory farmed meat consumption? And then we see lifestyles full of excessive stress. And what would excessive stress have to do with your bones? Absolutely everything. And we'll learn that later on on the show today. So one more. What about the environmental toxins? We know that Americans are known for their inactivity. We spend a lot of time sitting in the office, in cars, on the couch, a lot more compared to people in developing countries where they do a lot more physical movement. So we can see a big difference between underdeveloped countries and the foods they eat and the lifestyle they have compared to our highly industrialized nations. And yes, we here have access to health care and medications and calcium supplements, but how well is that really working? And we, what we see is that osteoporosis is on the rise, not on the decline. And one of the first points is to realize that osteoporosis is not only about calcium. In fact, a whole complement of minerals, but also various vitamins, are needed for good bones. Think of zinc and copper, manganese, boron, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin K, and all the B vitamins, as well as potassium and even sodium. In fact, if you only focus on taking calcium, you can actually get yourself into trouble. Calcium by itself easily crystallizes out and lands in other areas of your body, such as your arterial walls. And you've heard of arterial calcifications. Yes, and then speaking of calcifications, in fact, studies have shown that postmenopausal women who take calcium supplements have a higher incidence of cardiac events and deaths from those events. And that's a pretty big deal because most all women, and especially postmenopausal women, are told to take calcium. So this affects a lot of people. Does this mean that no one should take calcium supplements? No, that is not the conclusion of the study. The study simply stated that postmenopausal women taking calcium supplements had a higher incidence of cardiac events. 
excess calcium crystallized and not dissolved in your blood will often end up at the site of inflammation in the arterial wall. And that inflammation could be caused by a variety of reasons, such as eating a diet high in sugar, high in trans fats, and other damaged or oxidized fats. Inflammation could be from eating foods your body reacts poorly to, or even inflammation caused by external or internal stressors. Inflammation is characterized by the presence of these chemicals or these molecules called cytokines and interleukins. It causes a whole change of events leading to inflammation. And that inflammation could be anywhere. It could be in your joints or your blood vessels, in your brain, really anywhere. And this undissolved crystallized calcium is drawn to those areas. So in the start of arterial plaque, you would find inflammation, maybe because oxidized cholesterol, which looks like bacteria to your immune cells, starts to accumulate. So that oxidized cholesterol would come from eating damaged fats and from having lots of free radicals in your body. It oxidizes the cholesterol, and then when it's when your ba- when your immune cells see it, they think that it's bacteria. So then the immune cells try to eat it up and get rid of it. <clears throat> Meanwhile, that crystallized calcium gets drawn right into the same area. And this all builds up, creating a smaller space in your artery for the blood to get through. Cholesterol then comes to the rescue, not oxidized cholesterol, but you're just your normal cholesterol in your body that comes to the rescue to try and smooth it all over. So then we do see cholesterol at the scene, but it was not the cause. Eventually, the artery closes off and you have chest pain and possibly a heart attack. So the calcium was an important part of this process. And it's important to know that magnesium keeps calcium dissolved in the blood and not crystallized. So it's that magnesium that helps the calcium out. When it's dissolved, when the calcium is dissolved or in a solution, it's much less likely to get lodged in these areas. And another common place that magnesium, or excuse me, that calcium causes trouble is in the kidneys with kidney stones. And there are other reasons for kidney stones, but a big one is crystallized calcium. And having enough magnesium can help keep the calcium in solution and not crystallized and causing problems. If you don't have enough magnesium to help keep this calcium dissolved, you are likely to end up with various forms of calcification, translating into kidney stones, muscle spasms, fibromyalgia, and atherosclerosis, or calcification of the arteries. So why are we talking about all this when we're supposed to be talking about osteoporosis? What does all this calcification have to do with osteoporosis? Yeah, good question. Well, we tie it all together with the fact that so many people are taking calcium without the other nutrients that help you not only avoid this calcification, but also help the calcium to be deposited into the bones, which is where you want it to be. One thing to consider is the in overall, one thing to consider in overall utilization of minerals is the calcium to magnesium ratio. For instance, you need good existing magnesium levels in the first place just to properly absorb calcium. 
Good levels of magnesium help your body convert vitamin D into its active form so that the vitamin D can help you absorb that calcium. And magnesium stimulates the production of calcitonin, which is a hormone that moves calcium out of your bloodstream and then into your bones. So let's look at that. If you don't have good magnesium levels already, you may not have optimal calcitonin, which is that hormone that, and I just Mm -hmm. said it, but I want to say it again because it seems a little bit complicated, that that calcitonin is a hormone that takes the calcium out of your bloodstream and helps you to deposit it into your bones. So moving this calcium out of the bloodstream can help with arthritis, which is calcium in the joints but also with kidney stones, which is calcium in the kidneys, and heart disease, which is calcium in the arterial walls. And you need good magnesium levels to release that calcitonin effectively. Mm -hmm. And magnesium does the opposite with another hormone. Magnesium suppresses your parathyroid hormone. And parathyroid hormone is responsible for breaking the bone down. Understand that bone is not inert. Your bones don't just sit there and not change. I know they kind of seem like they do. It just seems like it's kind of like a piece of wood or just, you know, just this bone sitting there and nothing really changes because it's hard to imagine that it's actually um, doing anything. But in fact, your bones are continually breaking down as they are being built back up. And so that you have these cells that are completely sloughed off and they die off of your bone. And then you have new bone cells coming. And these hormones, calcitonin and parathyroid hormone, are the ones that help you to build up the bone and break it down. And you want that to be even. And then why we're talking about this is because if you don't have enough magnesium, then the calcitonin and the parathyroid hormone don't work properly. And ideally, we'd want those two actions to be equal so that we don't have a net loss of bone. So magnesium helps you build bone by activating an enzyme that is needed to form new bone. And magnesium is the bone mineral that helps your bones be flexible. Now, we usually only talk about bones being dense, or you hear about people getting their bone density measured. But we also need them to be flexible so when you fall or you have impact on your bones, they don't snap because they're brittle. It's the magnesium in your bones that helps with this flexibility. Yeah, and I'd like to add something here about these brittle bones. And that's that there are these substances like fluoride and um, another a, a number of other substances just um, out there. And one of them is, is um, Fosamax, one of the prescription drugs. These are things like fluoride will actually make your bones really, really dense, but they become very, very brittle. So as Lucy was just mentioning, if you fall and you have brittle bones, they snap even though that they're really, really dense. And that's what they're finding from some of the medications that are used to help reverse uh, poor bone density in that it does improve people's bone density, but they're finding that they're uh, actually breaking and snapping their their femur bones. Well, here is where another nutrient comes into play, and that's vitamin K2. Most people have heard of vitamin K, and usually when people talk about vitamin K, they're talking about vitamin K1, which is responsible for blood clotting. And vitamin K1 is found in green leafy vegetables. 
Now, vitamin K2 is different, and we're talking about vitamin K2 here because of the big role it plays in helping you deposit your calcium into your bones and not into your soft tissue. So it's vitamin K2, along with the good levels of magnesium, that help you deposit your calcium into your bones. And then that soft tissue would be what Lucy was talking about before. That would be in the cartilage in your joints, Mm -hmm. or that would be in your kidneys, or that would be in that soft tissue of the arterial wall. We can find vitamin K2 in large amounts in a food called natto, which is a type of fermented soy. And this is something that's eaten in Japan. Now, it's a bit stinky. I've never tried it myself, but I hear that it's quite stinky and slimy and it's not a popular food in the U.S. Nothing in our American diet, though, compares even closely with the content of vitamin K2 in natto. So that might be one big reason why people in Asian countries, if they're eating this natto, why maybe Mm -hmm. they've got this lower incidence of osteoporosis and they're not eating dairy, but they eat a lot of this fermented soy. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one other good source of vitamin K2 is fermented vegetables. And here at the studio, we teach people how to make their own fermented vegetables in our classes. Vitamin K is not found in all fermented vegetables. So say you go to the store, you go to whatever health store and you pick up some kimchi or sauerkraut or a jar of what says fermented vegetables on it. It may be a healthy food, but you're not going to know what bacteria is in those foods. And the vitamin K2 is produced only from certain bacterial strains. At the studio in our classes, we use the Body Ecology brand of Starter Culture because it has been specifically designed with bacteria that produce the vitamin K2. It's a huge source of that vitamin K2. Not only that, these bacteria and yeast have been studied and shown to make it through your acid stomach without being destroyed, which is so important. These other types of fermented vegetables from the store might not have the bacteria that even get into your intestinal wall and start to grow. Now, it looks like it's time for a break. So when we come back, we'll continue to talk about this vitamin K2. Remember, we're taking callers. The number is one 866 your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness frankly speaking about cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Cancer is not something to be taken lightly, but instead of being talked at by doctors, medical providers, and others, wouldn't it be nice to hear from a host who has worked at the Cancer Coalface for 38 years as a caregiver, supporter for 14,000 patients, and who has had the experience of having a life-threatening condition herself? 
You will hear the stories of survivors and other people who work in breakthrough cancer medicine. Navigating the Cancer Maze with host Grace Goller will help you with the facts, planning, and grief experienced with different forms and stages of cancer. Listen every Friday at 12 noon U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Body Balance Talk. I'm Lucy, along with Madeline and Jeannie. And today we're talking about osteoporosis and all the minerals that are involved in preventing that. Now, before the break, we were talking about fermented vegetables and how those are an excellent sources source of vitamin K2 if you make them properly. Now, the important part to Get the vitamin K2 from your fermented vegetables is to have the right type of bacteria in those foods. And using the starter culture from Body Ecology is going to give you those types of bacteria. Now, there's three other things that are important for fermented vegetables. The reason to eat fermented vegetables is to get good bacteria into your intestines. Three things make it a good source, though. One is that these bacteria need to be able to make it through the acid stomach into the small intestine. Now, there's a lot of types of fermented vegetables out there that don't necessarily have those types of bacteria strains. The second thing is that you need those bacteria to be able to get into the intestines and then implant themselves in the intestinal wall. And then number three is to actually grow. So we don't want to be eating these foods that are probiotics and they're good for our gut bacteria, but they just Maybe they don't even have any bacteria in the first place or they just pass right through and then we're left with the same bacteria in our intestines. We want them to stay in there and grow. And that's a really good point because a lot of people eat yogurt and that's their only cultured food. And there's nothing that's necessarily bad with yogurt. It's just that the organisms in yogurt aren't usually the ones that are going to actually implant into the intestinal wall and grow. So they move right on through you. So they're doing benefit as they're moving through, but they don't actually take up residence and grow on a little bit more of a permanent basis. And that's what Lucy is talking about with this company, Body Ecology. We just really think highly of this company because they've actually tested their organisms that they put in the little packets of the cultures to be sure that they're going to be the right bacteria. And you can use all sorts of wild fermentations as well. And those just pick up all kinds of bacteria and yeast that's right from your environment. And again, that's not necessarily something that's bad for people. It's just that when you're working on specific health issues, and uh, there would be a lot of reasons to eat the fermented foods, but what we're talking about today is the manufacture of vitamin K2. It's not going to be helpful to eat fermented foods that those bacteria don't produce the vitamin K2. 
And Lucy was telling me about an example. She makes kefir, and she was just telling me about how she made one that was sitting next to something that had a wild fermentation. Yep, I was. Do you remember that? Yes, I. This was in my kitchen at home, and I was making my kombucha, which, um, for those of you who don't know it. It's a fermented tea. It's a beverage. So I had my kombucha sitting there and then my fermented vegetables right next to it. And those fermented vegetables turned out so differently than any other fermented vegetables I've ever made before. I made them and I prepared them exactly the same. But when they were sitting on the counter actually fermenting, uh, I think they picked up some of the bacteria and yeast that was just in the air and in the the kombucha. kombucha. Exactly. Because kombucha is a wild fermentation. And Mm -hmm. so the kombucha had all kinds of different bacteria and yeast. And just because it was sitting next to, was it fermented vegetables or kefir? You know, actually, I don't remember. It was either the kefir or the fermented vegetables. But I do remember that I'm pretty sure it was the fermented vegetables, and they were very bubbly. I definitely remember a lot more bubbliness and a lot more of the sour flavor that I don't normally experience. So I can't necessarily say that it was a better batch or a worse batch, but it was noticeably different. Mm -hmm. So that's just an example of these these fermented foods really do pick up the bacteria and the yeast that's in the surrounding area, and it impacts how these vegetables are going to grow. And so if you're really looking for a specific outcome Mm -hmm. from your fermented or your cultured foods, you want to be choosing some sort of culture that has been guaranteed that that's exactly what you're going to be getting and that's exactly what you're going to be growing. Yeah, absolutely. And the ones, the fermented vegetables that you get in the store are often these wild fermented fermented vegetables. So making your own is going to be the way to go. And Madeline, do we have that recipe? Yes, we actually posted the recipe to the blog and there are directions and a video on how to make the fermented vegetables. So you'll get not only the vitamin K2, but also all that great bacteria and the beneficial yeasts in your gut. And the blog is mybodybalancenutrition.com. You just go right to the blog tab, scroll down and you'll find that video. Now another good source of vitamin K2 is the grass-fed beef. And those cattle are out on pasture. So now we're switching our topic to another source of K2. Um, Oh, before we go on, I was just wondering if you could let people know where to find that culture. Oh, absolutely. You can get this culture here at the studio in our refrigerator, or you can go online to the Body Ecology website and order your own. And it's bodyecology.com. And are there different types of cultures on their website, or how do you know what to get? Yes, there's two main types. There's the kefir culture, and that's to make the fermented coconut milk, kefir. And then this one for the vegetables is culture starter. Yeah, so and get we the recommend culture yeah, starter. Yeah, the culture starter for the fermented vegetables for people that are looking for the K2. Yeah, if you're the making kefir. the kefir, that's really great, but that's not going to have as much K2 in it as the fermented vegetables. Mhm. Absolutely. So let's talk about that grass-fed beef. So what makes that such a good source of the vitamin K2 is that those cattle are out on the pasture eating a variety of grasses. 
And remember that I mentioned earlier that a source of vitamin K1 is in green leafies. So the cattle are out there, they're eating the wild green leaves, the the grass, they have the K2 in them, or excuse me, the K1 in the grass. Their bodies have the ability to transform vitamin K1 into vitamin K2, and humans can't do that. So if the animal was finished off with corn, this benefit disappears. We only get the vitamin K2 from 100% grass-fed beef. And that, I think, would also be from some of those other ruminant animals as well. And what are some of those ruminant animals? Yeah, well, first of all, ruminant animal is an animal that has a rumen, one of their stomachs. They have multiple stomachs, and one of them is called a rumen. So a goat would be another ruminant animal, or what else is it? I think antelope. (laughs) Antelope, yep. (laughs) So these are animals that should just be eating grass. Some of them can eat other greens, um, but none of these animals should be eating corn, and when they eat corn, the benefit of the K2 disappears. Mm -hmm. I think that's really interesting how you have the sun that's shining down to grow these plants. So the plants take up water and minerals from the soil, and they take up the sunshine, and they produce something like Lucy mentioned called vitamin K1, among lots of other things. And it's it's kind of cool, I think, that if you and I, humans, we go out and eat grass, we're not able to digest that. And so Mm -hmm. it takes these other animals to eat that grass out there and through their digestive process and through uh, incorporating the K1, they can actually biotransform it into this K2 that when we eat the animal, then we're able to get that vitamin as well. And it just really comes full circle. Yes, it does. And we also get the vitamin K2 from the dairy products of this of these animals so like pasture butter from the cows or if you do dairy from the dairy from those cows and then now, what's the pasture butter can you just explain a little bit like if someone's going to buy that what is that yeah well when you're in the store you're looking for those words pasture butter and what that is it's butter from these cows that have been only eating grass they've been out on the pasture the whole summer long and the milk that creates that butter is from the cows eating grass. Exactly, from the cream. So if you're getting butter that's not pasture butter, that's from the factory-fed beef and the factory-fed cows that are giving the milk, and they're usually fed corn and usually GMO corn Mm -hmm. at that, and then you're not going to get that benefit of the K2. And so we can see if we're eating these grass-fed animals, we can get a nice source. And it's not a huge source of K2, but it's definitely something. And that if we go back, we remember that the reason we're talking about K2 is because if you're taking calcium or getting calcium in through any sort of dairy products, and if you don't have vitamin K2 it's pretty unlikely that that calcium is going to actually deposit in your bones. So we want to remember that it's vitamin K2, a key component of you getting your calcium deposited right into your bones where you want it to happen. Mm-hmm. Now, can, can we just back up for a moment? I've noticed sometimes when I go to the butcher shop and I'm either picking up beef or I'm, or I'm getting pasture butter, I'll ask them, is this from grass-fed cows? And sometimes they say, oh, yeah, yeah, they, that they're grass-fed and they were finished off with corn. 
Um, can you talk about that? Like, would that still be considered gr- good pasture butter or no? Oh, sure. No, you want it to be 100% grass-fed. So when these cows have been finished off with, with corn... That means that they've been eating grass most of their life, but then for the last three months or so, or maybe a th- few weeks or so, they're fattened up with corn before they get butchered. And when the cows eat this corn, even if it's for a relatively short period of time, that completely changes the composition of their fat, and you no longer get the benefits of the vitamin K2. So ask if these cows have been finished with grass, or they should be 100% grass Be finished fed. with corn? Well, you could ask that as well, but you're looking for them to be 100% grass-fed mm-hmm. mm-hmm. completely through the processing. I think that's a really important point because I've talked to various butchers and they've told me that it doesn't matter. Or they mm-hmm. say, well, it's it doesn't really work to have them be 100% grass-fed. And so if anybody hears that from their butcher, just know that that's not true, that it's perfectly fine and doable to have an animal eat grass its entire life. Yeah, well, I would think that out in nature, you know, if there were no farmers, it's not like those cows would go and pick out corn to have until the, for the last few weeks. You yeah, got it. Absolutely. Now, something else I just recently heard from a butcher, I asked him, is this beef 100% grass-fed? Because when I looked at the sign, it just said grass-fed. No, 100%. And his answer was, well, technically we can't say it is because they might be eating clover or other things in the pasture. And for everyone who gets an answer like that, cows can be eating clover. They can be eating things in the pasture. But the point is that they shouldn't be eating corn or soybeans. So you can clarify that if they have an answer like that for you. Uh, Interesting. It is, yes. So now people might be asking, I'm not going to make fermented vegetables. I'm not going to eat beef. So how else can I get this vitamin K2? Or how can I get it on top of these foods? You can also get vitamin K2 as a supplement. And here at the studio, we prefer to use a good, pure, clean vitamin D3 that also contains the vitamin K2. So you get two supplements in one. And everyone needs supplemental vitamin D. So here you get both of them just together. So if you don't take them together in one product, you'll just take the vitamin K2 separately. So we see that vitamin K2 and magnesium play a crucial role in preventing not only osteoporosis, but helping to prevent your dietary and supplemental calcium from depositing into your soft tissues, like the arteries or the kidneys. Now, just to note that these are not the only two nutrients involved in good bone health. Vitamin D is also necessary. And notice that both vitamin D and vitamin K are fat-soluble vitamins. So that means that they're absorbed with fat. The other two fat-soluble vitamins are vitamin A and vitamin E. And it's actually all the fat-soluble vitamins working together that help your calcium deposit into the bones where it should be. So this means it would be beneficial for those supplementing with calcium to take your calcium with your fish oil and with your vitamin D and your K2 supplements. 
All that along with a meal that contains a fair amount of good fats. So that meal with fat should contain enough vitamin A and E to work well with those other fat-soluble vitamins to get that calcium into your bones where it should be going. So you have your fatty meal. And this, it doesn't have to be a humongous amount of fat, but this would be something like some olive oil on your salad or you have a piece of salmon and then you take your supplements along with that or you have your eggs cooked in some butter. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's just important for everybody to remember that when you're going to be taking the calcium, you need to take it along with these fat-soluble vitamins and (laughs) along with magnesium and including that vitamin D in there. And again, that's going to help you to deposit the calcium in your bone where it's supposed to go. And for just as a side note, for people that take vitamin D, It's important to know that when you're taking that dose, if you take it on an empty stomach, you'll absorb half of what you would absorb if you're taking it with a meal that contains fat. So, uh, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but it kind of wastes your supplement if you're not absorbing it and then you don't get the benefit of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So as long as we're talking about osteoporosis, let's look at it from another angle. And for that, we'll need to take a bit of a detour, but I think you'll find this quite interesting. Now, your body has many different compartments that require a specific pH or a specific acid-base content in in order to operate effectively. So, for instance, your skin should be a bit acid, and that's called an acid mantle right on top of your skin. And that pH helps your skin to not get taken over by the bacteria or the viruses that land on it. So it helps keep your skin acting like a good barrier, and that's the point of the skin. Now, your stomach should also be acid but really acidic, meaning a pH from about 1 to 3. And this highly acid environment of your stomach makes protein digestion possible and makes it necessary for the absorption of B vitamins and other minerals like calcium and magnesium. In the beginning of your small intestine, that needs to be alkaline. So your stomach is very, very acid, and then the beginning of your small intestine becomes alkaline to continue proper digestion and assimilation of food. And then your urine and your saliva are other pHs. So the point here is that you don't have one pH for your whole body. If you take a look at the pH of your blood... You know, it looks like we're ready for a break here. Oh, break time. So let's head into our break and we'll continue talking about pH when we get back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes' work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Body Balance Talk. To reach us with your questions and comments, please call into the program today at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or send an email to info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back to Body Balance Talk. This is Lucy along with Madeline and Jeannie. Before our break, we were talking about the various pHs around your body. Uh, And Lucy was talking about different parts of your body have different pHs. And this seems really important because I see that there are a lot of people who have... Um, kind of mistaken ideas about pHs of various things. And so we try and build on this by first understanding that different parts of your body have different pHs. And if you look at your blood, that pH should be in this very narrow range of 7.35 to 7.45. And it's not so important that you know that exact range, but it's a very, very narrow, narrow range compared to other parts of your body. And the pH of your blood dramatically affects how well your enzymes work. And it also affects how well your hormones work. And, you know, you have these thousands of enzymes and these reactions that are going on. And knowing that when your blood pH is optimal, all those reactions are going to work so much better. And not only that, but your hormones, those are sending messages to your cells. You could have somebody that has double the amount of a certain hormone, but if your pH is off and usually it goes towards the acid side, uh, those hormones won't work nearly as well as somebody who has less of that hormone, but their pH is more optimal. Those hormones will be able to work a whole lot better. And in fact, it's not only the enzymes and the hormones, but if your blood pH drifts even a short distance away from optimal, you'll die. And we, we see here mm-hmm. that your body puts a super high priority on keeping your blood pH right in this narrow range. That's very different from your stomach. So if your stomach is alkaline, you're not going to die. You just won't absorb food well, and your health is going to be negatively affected. But you're not going to die. In the case of your blood, you would die. And it's important to know that most people, you and me, we tend towards acid blood. 
And we go that direction because our bodies produce a lot of acid every day in the process of just our normal metabolism. It can't be avoided, and it's not a bad thing. But at the same time, we've been provided with built-in mechanisms to rid ourselves from this daily metabolic acid that our bodies produce. And those would be our organs of elimination, the ones you already know about, the lungs, the lymph, the kidneys, the colon, and the skin. And when you breathe, move, exercise, sweat, and you drink enough water to pee, and you poop poop a good amount at least once a day, you're helping your body to get rid of excess acid. And when you eat a diet full of foods that buffer acid, it goes a long way in preventing blood from moving toward acid. Those foods would be mineral-containing foods such as vegetables. And in fact, lemons are the most alkalinizing food available. Understand that it's not about if the food itself is acid. It's what happens once that food has been broken down and metabolized through your system. A good habit is actually to put lemon in your water. I know I always do that when I go to restaurants, too. So what you're talking about is that the lemon itself is acid, and everybody knows that, that it's acidic. But then once you eat it and digest it, it actually has an alkaline effect. Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, exactly. And also dynamic greens are ideal for buffering acid. And we've talked about dynamic greens quite a bit on this show. Um, that's a, it's a powder that you can put in water as a drink. Tastes really good. We mm-hmm. all like that here and all the different flavors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's get back to the bone issue. So what does acid blood have to do with osteoporosis? Well, what if you were not using your organs of elimination? What if you were constipated and you never have a good sweat and you're sedentary and you don't move very much and your pee is a dark yellow because you don't drink much water? And then add to that a diet of processed foods and sugar, caffeine, alcohol, and corn-fed beef and not, and only the vegetables that you eat are potatoes and corn. So if this was the case, your blood would certainly move toward the, the acidic range. But you'll notice that you don't die. So then how does your body maintain this narrow pH? Well, first of all, your kidneys try really hard to dump the excess acid and to save what minerals it can keep. And your, breathe, your breathing might even change to try and blow off the excess acid. The next thing that happens is your bones come to the rescue to donate minerals to buffer this acid. So that's where the bones come in. They donate the minerals out of the bones into the bloodstream to buffer the excess acid. So and what buffering means, because Madeline was talking about eating these vegetables to buffer acid, and now Lucy's talking about that your bones donate minerals to buffer acid. Buffer just means that when something is acidic, like your blood is turning a little bit more towards acid, then uh, these minerals are going to, buffer is going to mean that it, t- it turns it less acid or a little bit more towards alkaline. So if that pH 7.35, that's more acid than 7.45. So buffering would mean that you put in these minerals and that will move that pH up more towards 7.45. So we see that our body really has this great safety mechanism built in so we don't die from excess acid in the blood. But we can see that a number of factors are involved in keeping good flexible bones with good density. 
So when you think of preventing osteoporosis, you want to think about the pH of your blood, knowing that you need to keep your organs of elimination working well every day to help get rid of excess acid your body produces daily from that regular metabolism. And these will be important points to follow if you're interested in avoiding osteoporosis. These would be good to write down, right? Yep, mm-hmm. everybody get out your pencils. You want to drink enough water to have pee that is light yellow or even clear. Poop a good amount every day. Move regularly throughout your day to move your lymph, which helps you, helps you get rid of ex- excess acids. Sweat through either exercise or hot, wa- wa- hot weather or saunas to help you get rid of excess acid through your skin as well. Those four points will help you get rid of excess acids you produce daily from metabolism. And in addition, eat meals and foods rich in minerals to avoid foods that leach minerals from your body. Get mineral-rich vegetables at every single meal. Take the dynamic greens every day to increase minerals. Make sure you're avoiding foods that either leach minerals or add excessive acidity. And that would be excessive caffeine, Alcohol, tobacco, sugar, processed foods, and corn, fed beef. Speaking of beef, for protein in general, we need to get enough at each meal. But overdoing the protein can promote acidity in your body. So think three to six ounces of meat or fish with a meal, not 12 to 16 ounces or more. So all of these things that we can do to help avoid osteoporosis actually help to keep those minerals in the bones instead of pulling them out into the bloodstream, right? Yeah. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that is what we're talking about. And I think that these are really good points to bring up with people because remember when we often think of osteoporosis, the first thing we think of is you need to be taking your calcium. And Madeline just went through a whole number of different things on here that will make a huge difference in terms of pushing your blood towards uh, more alkaline and not so much acid. Remembering that when your blood is more towards the acid pH, you're going to leach the minerals out of your bone. And so you think that Again, it's this, it's this bioterrain that you're creating in your body, kind of like that fishbowl that we've talked about in the past, that we can, rather than think about only moving from the outside with supplements and all, uh, maybe prescription drugs and these moving from the outside, we think, what kind of a bioterrain are we creating inside of our bodies? And in the case of osteoporosis, we want to create the sort of a bioterrain that's going to support your bones keeping their minerals and so all of these these are really lifestyle things that Madeline just had had listed off here that hopefully everybody wrote down really really important that you start here and include these in any sort of osteoporosis management system and remembering that this is this wouldn't be very wise to start only after you have osteoporosis this would be wise to start way before you're even thinking about osteoporosis so if you had written all of these things down and you were a 10 year old child you'd go these are even important points when you're 10 or even mm-hmm. when you're five or when you're 18. These aren't points for old people that get osteoporosis. These are points just for everybody so that you can create nice, strong, and healthy bones. 
Mm-hmm. And it seems like these points are actually, you know, if you just didn't know anything about osteoporosis, if you didn't know anything about acidity, but you were just living a very healthy lifestyle, you would already be doing these things. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, pooping. We always like to pick that one out. Yeah. But um, yeah, pooping every day and drinking enough water and moving around. These are all very basic things and eating a diet that's rich and rich and rich in nutrients. Mm-hmm. So it's actually kind of exciting how simple, sim- what simple steps mm-hmm. we can do for mm-hmm. keeping our bones healthy. So the last point is supplementation. And supplementation with minerals and magnesium in particular goes a long way in helping your body buffer this excess acid and save your bones from having to donate minerals. So this would be all the magnesium forms we've talked about in previous shows, including magnesium oil rubbed on your body, or the magnesium gel. It also includes Epsom salt baths and also the oral supplements of either magnesium glycinate or magnesium malate. So those are the two oral supplements, the tablets. Stay away from magnesium oxide for the purpose of building your magnesium stores. Now for calcium, we recommend the calcium in the hydroxyapatite form or a different form called coral calcium. The hydroxyapatite is the form of calcium that your body uses and it's assimilated into your bones quite well. Then the coral calcium is a supplement that also contains magnesium and a whole host of trace minerals. So they all work together with that calcium. And it's important to know that any calcium supplementation should include magnesium in at least the same dose as calcium or in equal doses of calcium and magnesium. If you eat a diet high in dairy, you would take less calcium as your supplements and proportionately more magnesium. And be sure to take the calcium and the magnesium with the vitamin K2 and the vitamin D3 with a meal that also contains good fats. And that should give you the vitamin A and E that you also need to incorporate the calcium into your bones. And and it gives you that vitamin D. And Mm -hmm. so the bottom line is that simply taking calcium alone and not focusing on the other aspects of bone is not effective for keeping your bones healthy. It's not only that, but it can also be destructive to your health. If in that destructive to your health was what we talked about in the beginning of the show about creating that plaque in the arterial walls and possibly creating kidney stones and possibly getting the calcium that lodges in your joints and various other soft tissues of your body and now exercise and estradiol also play big roles with bones but that'll be a topic for another day and so we don't want to forget that those two are also very very important well it's time to wrap up the show today tell all of your friends about the radio show and tell your family send us an email to tell us what you get from the radio show we're very curious to hear if, even if you're listening to a replay, email us at info at mybodybalancenutrition.com. Tell us all about your Body Balance Talk experience. Now, I'm Lucy along with Madeline and Jeannie, and that's our show. Thanks again for tuning in this week. 
Join Jeannie, Lucy, and Madeline for another edition of Body Balance Talk next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, listen to yourself and make it a healthy life ahead. We'll be right back. 